episode number one of the Exit Row podcast. And uh, this, podca- this podcast is uh, dedicated to stimulating your thinking as, a, as an entrepreneur and business owner uh, on um, how you exit your company into retirement and uh, what a great retirement actually looks like and what are the things that you need to get there. Um, quite frankly, most people don't really give a lot of thought to it. Uh, it's, it's sort of like uh, this dog, uh, Thor. And uh, uh, we met Thor, uh, more or less, uh, in Columbus, North Carolina back in 1970. My, uh, my great aunt was having a birthday party and my dad uh, took us, loaded us up in the uh, in his company car, which was a uh, Plymouth Fury station wagon, and uh, we stop at an intersection. And at the time, Columbus, North Carolina. I mean, today Columbus, North Carolina is, you know, a pretty great place to live. There's some rather upscale uh, uh, housing developments and what have you there in, in the area, and uh, it's it's quite lovely. But back then, it was quite boring. And you know, so we stopped the, at the center section. There's no stoplight. There's a stop sign. And all of a sudden we hear this, this loud thunk, uh, you know, like somebody on a motorcycle or a bike had run into the back of Dad's car. Well, we looked, and it was this dog, Thor. He was this, Thor was this huge German Shepherd who uh, made every other dog in the world look like a mensa member. Um, Thank God he wasn't hurt and didn't do any damage to my dad's car, although it sure sounded like it did. But Thor clearly had not thought through, uh, much as he had loved chasing cars in the years that he had been doing so, he hadn't thought through what would happen if he actually caught one. Um, Now, I want to suggest to you that that most people, uh, when they build companies and businesses and they retire from them, have not completely thought through what happens next or how they get there to the point of retirement in the first place. And by the way, I'm not saying if you've not thought things through that you're, uh, you know, that you're a, a, a uh, an intellectually impaired uh, German shepherd. There's nothing like that at all. But most of us simply have not thought through what, what, a, what a retirement is going to look like and how we're going to get there. And so when you do think about those, when you do think about retiring from your company, there's really three questions that you need to ask yourself right out of the box. What's the exact date that um, that I want to exit my company into retirement? And if you fix the date, uh, then you've got a point of reference for it, all the steps and, and things that might need to be done uh, to set yourself up for a great retirement. Question number two is, what's the total after-tax income that I want from all sources, including the converted value of my company? Um, and then there's the third question. The, uh, and when I, uh, when I first... Uh, became an exit planner uh, about 15, 20 years ago. Um, this was not a, this was a question that some people in the exit planning community would ask, but not everybody did. 
And that question simply is this, what am I going to do in my retirement? What's my purpose? Um, you, and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to put yourself into a rut and say, this is the one thing I'm gonna be doing. Uh, it may be that you start out doing some traveling and then later on you're devoting yourself to, to time with uh, uh, family that um, uh, you now have the time and the money freedom to enjoy being with. So, you know, again, those are the three questions that you need to ask starting out. What's the, uh, what's the exact date uh, that I want to retire? What's the total after total after tax income that I want from all sources? including the converted value of my company, and then what's my purpose? What, how, am I, how, am I, how am I going to invest my retirement years um, in a way that's going to be satisfying to me and hopefully uh, beneficial to those around me? Now, um, you know, by fixing a date into the future, let me suggest to you that that date should, for best results, should not be any closer to you, to the present, than 18 months, and no farther out than five years. And why is that? Well, um, while you, you can put together a pretty good exit plan if you give yourself a year, it's still kind of pushing it, because there are a lot of important things that... Uh, that you'll want to uh, uh, to undertake, including getting a, a good fix on the value of your company and whether or not you need to do anything to improve that value. Now you get out five years or you know past five five years, past five years, you are um, um, you're putting yourself in in, uh, in a space where uh, too many things can happen that will change the planning and change the planning assumptions. Uh, we've just found over the years, uh, experience and observation is that, that five, uh, uh, five years out uh, as, a, uh, as a far marker and the, and the closest mark would be uh, 18 months, that's a pretty good, you know, that's a pretty good range. Um, now, um, you, as, you, as you put together your your planning there are other things that you as I alluded to earlier that you need to undertake um, I, I, I mentioned you know getting evaluation I'm going to suggest to you that's a really good idea in general just know exactly where you are it's not a complete it's not like a, a pre-due diligence a complete pre-due diligence and we'll talk about that in a moment but um, it gives you a handle on on objectively what this important asset that you have, this company that you've developed, is worth. Now, let me see, let me really encourage you, do not do this on the cheap. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spend a boatload of money, but don't try to cut the corner financially by having your company's CPA do it. There are two really good reasons that, that you need to that you should avoid that. One is, um, as a as a practical matter, when a 
when evaluation is done by anybody on your company, there may be some bad news that you need to hear, but you don't want to hear. Uh, and if you, and better that you hear that bad news than uh, have the bad news brought to you by a, a potential buyer of your company who's doing due diligence. Um, because if you know it in advance, you can deal with it and, and thus increase the value of your company and the, uh, and the ultimate price that you get for your company when you, when you sell it, if you choose to sell it to a third party. But when you've got your CPA doing it, that CPA may not feel very aggressive and free and comfortable with giving you the bad news because of the relationship that you have. And typically those are long-term relationships. So we think it's a really good idea to, to have some other kind of objective um, uh, valuation professional do the valuation of the company. Um, the first place that I would look would be a, a certified public accountant who also has a CVA designation, and that's the Certified Valuation Analyst designation. That's a really, really helpful thing. Um, it's very specific. Uh, it's a great skill set that is uh, the knowledge space and the skill set that is acquired by a CPA who has a CVA designation uh, can give you an accurate picture of, of what it is that you actually have. Now, you can also get some really great advice from somebody who is a, um, uh, an investment banker. Uh, investment bankers are highly motivated to find every point of value to get the best possible price they can for you for your company. Now, a business bank, uh, an investment banker is not the same thing as a business broker. Uh, some of their work is similar, but culturally, and I know I'm probably gonna get some business brokers who are unhappy with me. Some of you guys do this, but not all of you do. Um, uh, uh, investment bankers tend to be, by my observation and experience, and experience a little bit more um, enthusiastic about finding the positives and the in value, but also finding the negatives and uh, pointing those out to you because um, they're typically, they're only representing you. Most of investment bankers are only representing the seller. Uh, business brokers sometimes, uh, I guess often, uh, can wind up uh, being like a, uh, some real estate agents and wind up uh, you know, working both sides of the, of the net. Um, and as long as you know that going in, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you just need to be availed of it. But I think that investment bankers generally are going to be a bit more objective and uh, a bit more passionate about um, um, uh, enhancing existing value and increasing the uh, 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 taking care of the problems and increasing the value where there, there are issues. So, um, uh, and that's, and they're, um, they're willing to give you the, the bad news and then tell you how to correct it. Uh, if you're not at a place where you're close to selling your company, though, the best place to, to go is a, um, is a CPA with a Certified Valuation Analyst designation. And they're going to give you a straight picture, and that's what you want. Uh, you know, they're only doing—they're uh, probably only doing this one thing for you. 
They're not going to be trying to cross-sell you on other services. And so, um, um, so take that to heart. It's, uh, it's, it's really an important question. Um, now, uh, as you're thinking about the route for you to exit your, your company, there's going to be three typical routes. One is to sell your company to insiders, um, like uh, an employee stock ownership plan or the um, um, uh, or uh, maybe the next generation in your family that you've uh, hopefully groomed to uh, take over the company. Um, or you can wind up selling to a third party. And uh, um, if you're doing that, you're typically doing it for cash. Now, that's important when you're talking about the valuation question because a good business valuation looks at your industry and, and, and similar values for different, similar companies and then they're usually going to give you a range. Um, uh, the, the idea is not to do it in such a way that they give you a precise exact to the penny uh, valuation. And you may ask yourself, well, if I'm spending the money, shouldn't I get an exact figure? Well, depending on what you're trying to do, if the, if the, uh, if the value is justifiable um, for similar companies, some companies are going to sell at the top end of the range, and some of them are going to sell at the bottom, and some of them are going to sell in the middle. So having that range really, really is important. And also the context of of, of uh, of the sale of a, com- of a company or, or, or what's happening with the company can determine wh- where you want to peg the valuation um, on that range. Uh, if you're selling to a third party, you want that range, you want to go to the higher end of the range so you can get as much as you can. If, you, um, s- if you're selling to uh, a relative, uh, a son, a, grand- a granddaughter, uh, you know, whatever, um, uh, then you want to make it easier for them, and by going with the lower at the lower end, um, you can do that. Now you may ask, okay, well if I'm selling to somebody in my family and I'm going to the lower end of, of a range, um, doesn't that kind of defeat my purpose in trying to get as much value as I can so that I can have the retirement that I want? And that's a perfectly legitimate question. There are other ways to make that to make that economic result happen. Uh, they can it can be through consulting fees or direct and or directors fees. Um, um, there's all sorts of things that that, that you can do. Uh, certain kinds of bonuses. There's all sorts of things that you can do to um, uh, to get the same economic result. Uh, the, the question is just how the result is going to be arrived at, and that's and again that's a contextual thing. Um, uh, in the context of who is going to wind up with the company. So, um, now, another thing to think about, and all these things that I'm talking about today, we'll, we'll actually be doing um, episodes in the future where we'll really concentrate on it and kind of, kind of flesh it out. But um, in, in choosing your exit route, in fact, I forgot to mention route number three. Uh, so let me talk about that first. Route number three doesn't happen often, but sometimes it's, 
sometimes it's the other way out. And that is simply to um, liquidate the company and sell off the assets. Now, when would you have that? When would you have a situation like that? Well, let's say that you're in a that you have a business that is so unique, and maybe you've got a a, a product or a process that is so unique um, that you're the only person who can really do it, and there's nobody else that's that that's um, really interested in it because it's such an unusual niche kind of business. Well, in, in those situations, you really don't have any other choice. And I would tell you that if, if that is if you're in a business like that, uh, delaying your your retirement until five years out really is something you're, you're going to have to do because you're going to really have to do some thinking about how you get to the result that you want since you're not going to be able to transfer it as any kind of a going concern, um, whether it's a sale or a transfer to insiders. So, um, uh, but another important dynamic to consider uh, is uh, is the family dynamic in a uh, in a business that you've started. Um, I had a client several years ago who had a business that was similar to the one that I grew up in. My my dad, after he left the left the road, uh, became the executive vice president of an insurance agency <coughs> that was actually our family business. And um, uh, uh, you know, Dad uh, wound up passing away, and then um, there was another. We had another relative who was active in the company, um, and uh, uh, he had to leave the company for health reasons. And um, the owners of the company, which were some aunts and and uh, and my mom uh, and uh, my uncle and a and my grandmother, you know, they all kind of looked around and said, gosh, you know, we we don't have anybody in the next generation who is interested in taking over the company and running it. And um, so they wound up making a decision to sell the company. I mean, the good news was that uh, my uncle um, uh, recovered from his, his illness and was able to come back to work and run things. And they were able to sell the company as a, you know, as a going concern to a friendly uh, competitor. Um, but um, if it's a situation where instead of selling to a third party, you are selling to um, uh, to out, um, uh, you're selling to um, fam- family members. Um, there can be some challenges there. Um, I had one situation a number of years ago where um, um, a family owned a uh, uh, owned a company that uh, operated restaurants and um, the chief operating officer of the company was a son-in-law um, there were two children a daughter who was married to the chief operating officer and the, a son who worked for a son, it was something like Best Buy or Radio Shack or something I uh, can't really say um, and he thought by you know by divine right that as the uh, as the male child, he should wind up with control of the company. And so um, uh, we had to actually bring in, and I'm serious as a heart attack, we had to bring in a family counselor. And um, uh, because of what the family counselor was able to, dis, uh, to discern, 
uh, we crafted a solution where the daughter in this family wound up running the company and, and the son still didn't completely like it, but he sure liked it better than having his brother-in-law take over and, uh, and run things. Um, then I had another situation where there was an interesting family dynamic uh, where uh, in another part of South Carolina where um, um, a, a, an insurance agency that was similar to the one that my family operated, uh, the owner decided he was going to um, retire from the company. It was in its second generation of ownership and he was looking forward to passing it on to a third generation. And so his son and a young gun, talented uh, executive in the company um, were, uh, uh, were, were pegged to, uh, to take it over. And then um, my um, business owner client's health went south. And so the, um, they were concerned, he and his wife, that the son and this uh, young executive didn't have the experience and maturity to take the company through a recession. And uh, if my client died, um, the installments on the, uh, on the sale to them were going to be really important to my, uh, uh, to my client's wife. So the decision was made to sell to a third party. Well, as things would happen, um, uh, this young man, uh, the, the son, was not happy with this. Uh, was very angry with his dad and pretty well held things up until um, he got an agreement from his dad to get a, a small percentage of the sales proceeds. And um, once that agreement was signed, he was happy, but it was tense at Thanksgiving dinner for several years after that. So um, uh, when you're looking at transferring or selling a company, uh, um, having... Um, people who understand the uh, the importance of considering the family dynamic, you know whether it's the person planning the exit for you and uh, overseeing its uh, its execution, whether it's your uh, any any accountants or financial advisors uh, or lawyers that are involved, um, all those people need to have some sensitivity to the family dynamic, which winds up having a direct impact on. Uh, on the ultimate result. So, um, uh, people, thank you for tuning in and um, uh, keep uh, keep coming back. Uh, in a couple of months, we're actually going to uh, work into our um, our schedule, and we'll be doing this twice a month. Um, a uh, a guest, and uh, we're already hard at work on uh, uh, booking our uh, our first guest. So, um, uh, if you have any questions or, uh, or, or um, uh, ideas or comments, uh, uh, please, uh, uh, please uh, let me know. And, uh, and to tell you about our company, Seabrook Wessex, um, we are primarily a business exit planning company. We do most of our work in what is referred to as the, uh, as the lower mid-market, and uh, that is a uh, a company that is privately held, uh, usually still run by its founder and maybe not, not, not a lot of structure, uh, but it, uh, it uh, has uh, earnings um, uh, before things like uh, interest and taxes and what have you 
of uh, $10 million on the low side to $100 million on the high side. We will um, uh, look at companies that are uh, that have less than $10 million of earnings uh, to work with. Uh, we do that on a case-by-case basis. And although we are located in uh, South Carolina, we're happy to work with clients anywhere on the planet. And um, 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 doing most of our work with uh, uh, the English-speaking world, but uh, don't uh, don't let that hold you back. We can always find a way around the, uh, around the language barriers. So um, people uh, uh, continue to come back. Seabrook Wessex is ready to help, and uh, we've got some uh, some great things coming up in the uh, 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 for the rest of the year. I'm Frank Warren. Uh, thanks for uh, joining me today and. Keep having fun on the road to world domination. Thanks.